The Ultimate Investor The Ultimate Investor is a person such as Bill Gates or Warren Buffett. These investors build giant companies that other investors want to invest in. Both Gates and Buffett became rich not because of their high salaries or their great products, but because they built great companies and took the companies public. While it is not likely that many of us will ever build a Microsoft or Berkshire Hathaway, we all have the possibility of building a smaller business and becoming wealthy by selling it privately or selling it publicly. Rich Dad used to say, some people build houses to sell, others build cars. But the ultimate is to build a business that millions of people want to own a share of. When you get to the IPO stage, there are advantages and disadvantages of going public. However, here are a few of the advantages and disadvantages of an initial public offering, IPO. First, the advantages. Going public allows business owners to cash in some of their equity in the business. For example, Gates' original partner, Paul Allen, sold some of his Microsoft shares in order to buy cable TV companies. Going public also allows owners to raise expansion capital or pay off company debt. In addition, it lets the owner raise the company's net worth. Finally, it allows the company to offer stock options as benefits to its employees. Here are some of the disadvantages. Your operations become public, and you are forced to disclose information to the public that had previously been private. Also, the IPO is very expensive, not to mention that your focus is diverted from running the operations of the business to facilitating and meeting the requirements of being a public company. Compliance with the IPO and ongoing quarterly and annual reporting requirements are extensive. Because additional owners come into play, you risk losing control of your company. Finally, if your stock does not perform well in the public market, you risk being sued by your shareholders. For many investors, the potential financial reward of taking their company public greatly overshadows any potential disadvantage of an IPO. The rest of this book is about Rich Dad guiding me as an inside investor and sophisticated investor on my path to becoming the ultimate investor. You will gain some insights into what Rich Dad thought was important, what I needed to learn, and some of the mistakes I made along the way. It is my hope that you can learn from my successes as well as my mistakes on your own path to becoming the ultimate investor. The Decision to Build a Business In my seminars, I remind people that less than 100 years ago, most people owned their own businesses. Just 100 years ago, approximately 85% of the U.S. population were either independent farmers or small shopkeepers. I know that both sets of my grandparents were small business owners. Only a small percentage of the population was comprised of employees. I then say, it seems that the industrial age, with its promise of high-paying jobs, job security for life, and pension benefits, has bred that independence out of us. I also add that our educational system was designed to create employees and professional people, not entrepreneurs. So it would be only natural for people to feel that starting a business would be risky. Chances are that you all have the potential to be great business owners if you have the desire to develop the skills. Our ancestors developed and depended on their entrepreneurial skills. If you do not have a business today, the question is, do you want to go through the process of learning how to build a business? You are the only one who can answer that question. When people say, I have no money to invest, or I need a real estate deal I can buy for no money down, I reply, maybe you should switch quadrants and invest from the quadrant that allows you to invest with pre-tax dollars. Then you might have a lot more money to invest. One of the first considerations in your investment plan should be to decide in which quadrant lies the best opportunity for you to make the most money quickly. 
That way you can begin investing for the highest returns with the least risk and you'll have the best chance of becoming very, very rich. Once I decided to build a business, the next problem facing me was that I had no money. First, I did not know how to build a business. Second, I had no money to build a business with. And third, I had no money to live on. Feeling weak in the stomach and lacking confidence in myself, I called Rich Dad and asked him what I should do. He immediately said, go get a job. His reply shocked me. I thought you were telling me to start my own business. Yes, I did, but you still have to eat and put a roof over your head, he said. What he said to me next I have passed on to countless people. Rule number one in becoming an entrepreneur is to never take a job for money. Take a job only for the long-term skills you will learn. The first and only job I got after the Marine Corps was with the Xerox Corporation. I chose it because it had the best sales training program. Rich Dad knew I was very shy and terrified of rejection. He recommended I learn to sell, not for the money, but to learn to overcome my personal fears. Each day, I had to go from office building to office building, knocking on doors, trying to sell people a Xerox machine. It was a very painful learning process, yet this process has made me millions of dollars over the years. The problem at that time, though, was that no matter how hard I worked and how many machines I sold, I was always short of cash. I had no money with which to invest or start a business. One day, I told Rich Dad that I planned to take a part-time job to supplement my income so I could invest. That was the moment he had been waiting for. Rich Dad said, The biggest mistake people make is that they work too hard for their money. He went on to say, Most people do not get ahead financially because when they need more money, they take a part-time job. If they really want to get ahead, they need to keep their day job and start a part-time business. Rich Dad knew I was learning valuable skills and was serious about becoming a business owner and investor. It is time for you to start your business part-time, he said. Don't waste your time with a part-time job. A part-time job keeps you in the E, employee quadrant, but a part-time business puts you in the B, business owner quadrant. Most big companies are started as part-time businesses. In 1977, I started my nylon and Velcro wallet business part-time. Many of you are familiar with that product line today. From 1977 to 1978, I worked very hard at Xerox, eventually becoming one of the top sales representatives in the branch. In my spare time, I was also building something that would soon become a worldwide, multi-million dollar business. When people asked me if I loved my product line, a line that consisted of colorful nylon wallets, nylon watch bands, and nylon shoe pockets that attached to the laces of a running shoe and held a key, money, and ID card, I answered, no, I was not in love with the product line, but I did enjoy the challenge of building the business. If you look at Bill Gates, founder of Microsoft, he did not even invent his software product. He bought it from a group of computer programmers and then went on to build one of the most powerful and influential companies in world history. Gates did not build a great product, but he did build a great business that helped him become the richest man in the world. The message is, therefore, do not bother trying to make a great product. Focus more on starting a business so you can learn to become a great business owner. Many people dream of starting their own business, but never do because they're afraid of failing. Many other people dream of becoming rich, but don't become so because they lack the skills and experience. The business skill and experience is where money really comes from. Rich Dad said to me, The education you receive in school is important, but the education you receive on the street is even better. Starting a business at home, part-time, allows you to learn priceless business skills in subjects such as communication skills, leadership skills, team-building skills, tax law, corporate law, and securities law. These skills or subjects cannot be learned in a weekend course or in a single book or audio program. 
I continue to study them today, and the more I study them, the more my businesses improve. One reason people learn so much by starting a part-time business is that they start as insiders, insiders in their own business. If someone can learn to build businesses, a whole new world with virtually unlimited financial opportunity becomes available. One of the problems of being in the E, employee quadrant, or the S, self-employed quadrant, however, is that the opportunities are often limited by how hard one person can work and how many hours there are in a day. The Entrepreneurial Spirit People invest for two basic reasons, to save for retirement or to make a lot of money. While most of us invest for both reasons, and both are important, it seems that the majority of people lean more towards the first reason, they put money away as savers do and hope it will increase in value over time. They invest, but they are more concerned about losing than winning. I have met many people whose fear of losing prevents them from acting. People need to be true to their emotional senses when investing. If the pain and fear of losing are too great, it is best for that investor to invest very conservatively. Yet if you look at the great wealth of this world, that wealth has not come from cautious investors. The great changes in this world have come from investors backing what my rich dad called the entrepreneurial spirit. As I began to formulate my plans to start my part-time business, rich dad was adamant about the spirit with which I undertook this new adventure, the adventure of building a worldwide business. He said, you build a business because of the challenge. You build a business because it is exciting, and it will require all of you to make it successful. The entrepreneurial spirit is a valuable asset in building a successful B business. Today, many successful capitalists are still entrepreneurs in their hearts. Phase 3. How do you build a strong business? Rich Dad said, there are three reasons for building a business. To provide you with excessive cash flow, to sell it, or to build a business and take it public. This was Rich Dad's idea of becoming what he called the ultimate investor. It was building a business and taking it public that made Bill Gates, Henry Ford, Warren Buffett, Ted Turner, and Anita Roddick very, very wealthy. They were the selling shareholders, while we were all the buying shareholders. They were insiders, while we were outsiders trying to look in. The B.I. Triangle In this section of the program, I will be describing what Rich Dad called the B.I. Triangle, or the Business and Investment Triangle. I use this triangle as a guide to building a business. It outlines the primary technical skills that are required. Rich Dad also felt certain personal traits were required to be a successful entrepreneur. They have vision, the ability to see what others could not see. They have courage, the ability to act despite tremendous doubt. They have creativity, the ability to think outside the box. They have the ability to withstand criticism. There is not one successful person who has not been criticized. They have the ability to delay gratification. It can be very difficult to learn to deny short-term immediate self-gratification in favor of a greater long-term reward. These qualities are also included in the triangle. The BI triangle is framed by three important guideposts, mission, team, and leadership. In an ascending stepladder, the BI triangle has five components, cash flow, communication, business system, legal, and at the very top, product management. Rich Dad calls this triangle the key to great wealth. It represents the knowledge required to be successful on the B, business owner, and I, investor side of the cash flow quadrant. I have modified it a little over the years. 
Obviously, the amount of material that could be written and needs to be written to cover the information represented by the BI triangle is more than this book could cover. However, we will review the basics. The Mission Rich Dad said, A business needs both a spiritual and a business mission to be successful, especially at the beginning. He always began with the mission, since he thought it to be the most important aspect of the triangle and why it was at the base. If the mission is clear and strong, the business will weather the trials every business goes through during its first ten years. When a business gets big and it forgets its mission, or the mission it was created for is no longer needed, the business begins to die. Rich Dad chose the words spiritual and business. He said many people start a business only to make money. Just to make money is not a strong enough mission. Money alone does not provide enough fire, drive, or desire. The mission of a business should be to fill a need that the customers want. And if it fills that need, and fills it well, the business will begin to make money. When it came to a spiritual mission, Rich Dad said, Henry Ford was a man driven by a spiritual mission first, and a business mission second. He wanted to make the automobile available to the masses, not just the rich. That is why his mission statement was, democratize the automobile. Rich Dad went on to say, when the spiritual mission and business mission are both strong and in line, the combined power builds huge businesses. Rich Dad's spiritual mission and business mission were closely in line. His spiritual mission was to provide jobs and opportunities for many of the poor people to whom he served food in his restaurants. Rich Dad thought the mission of a business was very important, although it was hard to see and to measure. He said, without a strong mission, a business is not likely to survive its first five to ten years. At the start of a business, the mission and the entrepreneur's spirit are essential for the business to survive. The spirit and mission must be preserved long after the entrepreneur is gone or the business dies. Rich Dad would say, The mission of a business is a reflection of the spirit of the entrepreneur. General Electric was a company founded from the brilliance of Thomas Edison, and it has grown by preserving the spirit of the great inventor by continuing to invent new and innovative products. Ford Motor Company has survived by continuing in the tradition of Ford. Today, I believe that Bill Gates' spirit continues to drive Microsoft to dominate the world of software. By contrast, when Stephen Jobs was pushed out of Apple and a management team from the traditional corporate world replaced him, the company went downhill rapidly. As soon as Jobs was brought back into Apple, the spirit of the company returned, new products came forth, profitability increased, and the share price went up. Although the mission of a business is hard to measure, impossible to see, and for all practical purposes and intangible, most of us have experienced it. We can identify the mission of someone who is trying to sell us something for a commission, as contrasted to someone trying to help answer our needs. As the world becomes crowded with more and more products, the businesses that survive and do well financially will be businesses that focus on serving and fulfilling the company's mission and their customers' needs, rather than just increasing the company's revenues. The Team Rich Dad always said, Business is a team sport. He went on to say, investing is a team sport. He would also say, The problem with being in the E employee and S self-employed quadrant is that you play the game as an individual playing against a team. One of Rich Dad's strongest criticisms of the educational system was, in school, they train students to take tests on their own. If a child attempts to cooperate at test time, it is called cheating. Rich Dad would also say, in the real world of business, business owners cooperate at test time, and in the world of business, every day is test time. For people considering building a powerful and successful business, I think this lesson on teamwork is crucial. It is one of the primary keys to my financial success.
Business and investing are team sports. And remember that every day in business is test time. To be successful in school, you had to take tests alone. In business, success comes from taking tests as a team, not as an individual. Many investors today are trying to invest as individuals. I see and read about thousands of people who are doing online day trading. This is a perfect example of an individual trying to trade against well-organized teams. That is why so few of them succeed, as well as why many lose their money. I was taught that when it comes to investing, you should invest as a member of a team. Rich Dad would say, if people want to become sophisticated investors and above, they must invest as a team. On Rich Dad's team were his accountants, his attorneys, his brokers, his financial advisors, his insurance agents, and his bankers. I use the plurals here because he always had more than one advisor. When he made a decision, it was with input of the team. Today, I do the same. And how do you afford the team? The B, business owner, should not hesitate to pay for these services because their business system, the entire BI triangle, is paying for the services. An S-quadrant business owner is often paying for the services out of his or her own sweat and blood, so most of them cannot afford to hire a full-time staff or team because they do not earn enough to cover their own financial needs. This leads us to one of the big differences between a B-quadrant business and an S-quadrant business. It is the team. Most S-quadrant businesses are either structured as sole proprietorships or partnerships. They could be teams, but not the kind of team I think of. One of my greatest teachers was Dr. R. Buckminster Fuller, who noted that tetrahedrons are the basic building blocks of nature and the universe. They are also the basic building blocks of business. While a sole proprietorship may be a single point on the tetrahedron, and a partnership may be a single connector between specialist and employee, a true business is a tetrahedron which includes four points, business owners, specialists, employees, and investors. These four interconnected elements are a true team, the true building blocks of a business and a financial freedom. Leadership One reason I attended a federal military academy rather than a normal university was that Rich Dad knew I needed to develop leadership skills if I wanted to become an entrepreneur. After graduation, I went into the U.S. Marine Corps and became a pilot to test my skills in the real world in a place called Vietnam. As Rich Dad said, school is important, but the street is a better teacher. I still remember the commanding officer of my squadron saying, Gentlemen, your most important job is to ask your troops to risk their lives for you, your team, and your country. He went on to say, If you don't inspire them to do that, they will probably shoot you in the back. Troops do not follow a leader who does not lead. The same thing goes on in business today and every day. More businesses fail from the inside than from the outside. In Vietnam, I learned that one of the most important qualities of a leader is trust. As a helicopter pilot with a crew of four, I had to trust my life to my team, and they had to entrust their lives with me. If that trust was ever broken, I knew that we would probably not come back alive. Rich Dad would say, a leader's job is to bring out the best in people, not to be the best person. He would also say, if you are the smartest person on your business team, your business is in trouble. When people ask how they can gain leadership skills, I always say the same thing. Volunteer more. In most organizations, it is hard to find people who actually want to lead. Most people just hide in the corner hoping no one will call on them. I tell them, at your church, volunteer to take on projects. At work, volunteer to lead projects. Now, volunteering alone will not necessarily make you a great leader, but if you accept the feedback and correct yourself well, you can grow into a great leader. With the right mission, team, and leader, 
you are well on your way to building a strong business. Remember, money follows management. It is at this point that you can start attracting money from outside investors. Five building blocks are essential to developing a strong business. Cash flow management, communications management, systems management, legal management, and product management. Cash flow management. Rich Dad would say, Cash flow management is a fundamental and essential skill if a person truly wants to be successful in the B, business owner, and I, investor quadrant. That is why he insisted that Mike and I read financial statements of other companies so we could better understand cash flow management. In fact, he spent most of his time teaching us to be financially literate. He would say, Financial literacy allows you to read the numbers, and the numbers tell you the story of the business based on facts. If you ask most bankers, accountants, or loan officers, they will tell you that many people are weak financially simply because they are not financially literate. I have a friend who is a respected accountant in Australia. He once said to me, It is shocking to see a perfectly good business go down just because the owners are not financially literate. He went on to say, Many small business owners fail because they do not know the difference between profit and cash flow. As a result, many profitable businesses go broke. They fail to realize that profit and cash flow are not the same things. Cash flow is to a business what blood is to the human body. Nothing can impact a business more dramatically than not being able to make payroll on Friday. Proper cash flow management starts on the first day you begin your business. A good cash flow manager reviews his or her cash position daily, looking at cash sources and needs for the next week, month, and quarter. This allows him or her to plan for any large cash need before it becomes a cash crisis. This type of review is imperative for a company that is growing quickly. Briefly, I will review some cash flow tips that may help you in structuring your business. Each step applies to your business, whether it is an international business, a single rental unit, or a hot dog stand. During the initial corporate startup phase, you can delay taking a salary until your business is generating cash flow from sales. In some cases, this may not be possible due to an extended development period. However, your investors will be much more supportive if they see that you are sharing in the development process by investing your time. In fact, we advise keeping your full-time job and starting your business part-time. By delaying taking a salary, you can reinvest sales to help grow your business. When dealing with sales and accounts receivable, keep the following tips in mind. Invoice your customers quickly upon shipment of goods or when services are provided. Require payment up front until credit has been established. Require that credit applications be completed before granting credit and always check references. Standard credit forms are available at business supply stores. Establish a minimum dollar amount for orders before granting credit. Establish late payment penalties as part of your terms and conditions, and enforce them. As your business grows, to speed up the receipt of cash, you may want to have your customers pay their bills directly to lockboxes or directly to your bank. When managing expenses and accounts payable, consider this advice. Many businesses forget that a critical part of cash flow is managing their own bill paying. Make sure you pay your bills promptly. Ask for extended payment terms up front. After you have paid in a timely manner for two to three months, ask for additional extensions on your payable terms. A supplier will usually extend credit for 30 to 90 days to a good customer. Keep your overhead to a minimum. Before purchasing something new, set a goal for increasing sales to justify the expense. Preserve your investors' funds for costs directly related to business operations, not overhead if at all possible. As your sales increase, you can purchase the overhead-related items from the cash flow, but only if you have set and achieved new higher sales goals. In terms of managing your general cash flow, 
Have an investment plan for your cash on hand to maximize its earning potential. Establish a line of credit with your bank before you need it. Establish good internal controls over the handling of cash. The people who record the cash receipts on the bank deposits are different from those who post it to the accounts receivable and general ledger. Checks should be endorsed immediately for deposit only. The people authorized to sign checks should not prepare the vouchers or record the disbursements and post to the accounts payable on general ledger. The person who reconciles the bank statement should have no regularly assigned functions related to cash receipts or cash disbursements. While this may sound very complicated, each step of cash management is important. Call in your accountant, banker, and personal financial advisor for advice in structuring your cash management system. Once you establish a system for how to manage your cash, ongoing supervision is still essential. Review your cash position and funding needs daily, and prepare early for additional funding that may be required for your expanding business. Communications Management Rich Dad would say, the better at communicating you are, and the more people you communicate to, the better your cash flow will be. This is why communications management is the next level up on the business and investment triangle. He would also say, to be good at communications, you first need to be good at human psychology. You never know what motivates people. Just because something makes you excited does not mean it makes others excited. To be good at communications, you need to know what buttons to push. Different people have different buttons. He also said, many people are talking, but only a few are listening. He also said, the world is filled with fabulous products, but the money goes to the best communicators. As a general policy, Rich Dad attended one communication seminar a year. I continue in that tradition. I have always noticed that soon after I attend the seminar, my income increases. Over the years, I have attended courses on sales, marketing systems, advertising, negotiations, public speaking, direct mail advertising, running seminars, and raising capital. I have recommended that people join a network marketing company to gain sales experience. Some network marketing organizations have excellent communications and sales training programs. I have seen shy, introverted individuals come out as powerful and effective communicators who are no longer afraid of rejection or ridicule. That thick-skinned mindset is vital for anyone in the business owner quadrant, especially when your personal communication skills are not yet polished. I still remember my first sales call on the street along Waikiki Beach. After spending about an hour working up the nerve to knock on the door, I finally got in to see the owner of a small tourist trinket store. He was an older gentleman who had seen new salespeople like me for years. After stammering and sweating through my memorized sales pitch on the benefits of a Xerox copier, all he did was laugh. After he was through laughing, he said, Son, you're the worst I've ever seen. But keep going, because if you can get over your fears, your world will be very bright. If you quit, you may wind up like me, sitting behind this counter 14 hours a day, 7 days a week, 365 days a year, waiting for tourists to come in. I wait here because I am too afraid to go out and do what you're doing. Get through your fears, and the world will open up. Give in to your fears, and your world will get smaller every year. To this day, I give thanks to that wise older man. After I began to overcome my fear of selling, Rich Dad had me join the Toastmasters organization to learn to overcome my fear of speaking in front of large groups. When I complained to Rich Dad, he would say, All great leaders are great public speakers. Leaders of great businesses need to be great speakers. If you want to be a leader, you must be a speaker. Today, I can speak comfortably to tens of thousands of people in convention halls because of my training in sales and my early training from the Toastmasters organization. The Difference Between Sales and Marketing While still on the subject of communications, 
Rich Dad insisted that I know the difference between sales and marketing. He would say, the biggest mistake that most people make when it comes to communications is that they say sales and marketing. That is why they suffer with low sales or poor communications with staff and investors. The real statement should prioritize sales above marketing. He notes, if a business has strong and convincing marketing, the sales will come easily. If the business has weak marketing, the company must spend a lot of time and money and work very hard at gathering sales. He adds, sales is what you do in person, one-on-one. -on -one. Marketing is sales done via a system. To be a business owner on the B side, you need to learn how to sell through a system, which is called marketing. And the three key ingredients to that system are identifying a need, providing a solution, and answering the customer's question, what's in it for me? Systems Management The human body is a system of systems. So is a business. The human body is made up of a blood system, oxygen system, food system, waste system, etc. If one of those systems stops, there is a good chance the body will be crippled or die. The same is true with a business. A business is a complex system of interoperating systems. In fact, each item listed on the business and investment triangle is a separate system that is interlinked into the overall business the triangle represents. It is difficult to separate the systems because they are interdependent. It is also difficult to say that one is more important than another. For any business to grow, individuals must be accountable for each of the systems, and a general overall director must be in charge of making sure all the systems operate to their highest capacity. When reading a financial statement, I'm like a pilot sitting in the cockpit of the plane, reading the gauges from all the operating systems. If one of the systems begins to malfunction, emergency procedures must be implemented. So many small startup businesses or S-quadrant businesses fail because the operator of the system has too many systems to monitor and take care of. When one system fails, such as when cash flow dries up, all the other systems begin to fail almost simultaneously. It is like when a person gets a cold and fails to take care of him or herself. Pneumonia soon sets in, and if it's not treated, the person's immune system begins to break down. Every business, whether large or small, needs to have systems in place to enable it to conduct its day-to-day -day activities. Even a sole proprietor has to wear different hats to conduct his or her business. In essence, the sole proprietor is all systems in one. The better the system, the less dependent you become on others. As I often tell people, Look at McDonald's as an example. It is the same everywhere in the world, and it is run by teenagers. This is possible because of the excellent systems in place. McDonald's depends on systems, not people. For a detailed summary of the different systems you might implement within your business, refer to the printed version of Rich Dad's Guide to Investing. Legal Management This level of the business and investment triangle, legal management, was one of the most painful lessons I ever had to learn. My rich dad identified a serious flaw in my business. I had failed to secure the legal rights to the nylon and Velcro products I had designed before I started producing them. More specifically, I failed to patent some of my products. I failed to do so because I believed that $10,000 in patent attorney fees was too expensive and not important enough to spend that much money on. Another company quickly came along and copied my idea, and I could do nothing about it. Today, I am an evangelist for the other side. Today, especially in the information age, your intellectual property attorney and your contract attorney are some of your most important advisors because they help create your most important assets. These attorneys, if they are good, will protect your ideas and your agreements from intellectual bandits 
people who steal your ideas and therefore your profits. Michael Lecter has written a book, The Intellectual Property Handbook, which I highly recommend. He discusses various protection mechanisms, including patents, trademarks, copyrights, and mask works, and explains how they can be used in combination to give you the broadest protection. For a detailed summary of the various legal aspects you may encounter with your business, refer to the printed version of Rich Dad's Guide to Investing. Fifth building block, product management. The company's product, which the customer ultimately buys from the business, is the last important aspect of the business and investment triangle. It could be a tangible item, such as a hamburger, or an intangible item, such as consulting services. It is interesting to note that when evaluating a business, many average investors focus on the product rather than the rest of the business. Rich Dad thought that the product was the least important piece to inspect when evaluating a business. Many people come to me with ideas for new, innovative products. My response is that the world is full of great products. People also say to me that their new idea or product is better than an existing product. Thinking that a better product or better service is most important is usually the domain of the E, employee, and S, self-employed quadrant, where being the best or highest quality is important for success. In the B, business owner, and I, investor quadrants, however, the most important part of a new business is the system behind the product or idea, or the rest of the business and investment triangle. I then point out that most of us can cook a better hamburger than McDonald's, but few of us can build a better business system than McDonald's. The product is at the top of the BI triangle because it is the expression of the business's mission. It is what you are offering to your customer. The rest of the BI triangle lays the foundation for the long-term success of your business. If your communication to the marketplace is strong, your systems are set up to facilitate production, ordering, and fulfillment. If your cash is managed properly, you will be able to sell your product successfully and support a strong growth business. A Summary of the BI Triangle the BI triangle as a whole represents a strong system of systems, supported by a team with a leader, all working toward a common mission. If one member of the team is weak or falters, the overall success of the business can be jeopardized. I would like to highlight three important points in summarizing the BI triangle. First, money always follows management. If any of the management functions of the five individual levels are weak, the company will be weak. If you are personally having financial difficulty or not having the excessive cash flow that you desire, you can often find the weak spot or spots by analyzing each level. Once you identify your weakness, you may then want to consider turning it into your strength or hiring someone with that strength. Second, some of the best investments and businesses are the ones you walk away from. If any of the five levels is weak and the management is not prepared to strengthen them, it is best to walk away from the investment. Too many times I have discussed the five levels of the BI triangle with a management team with which I am considering investing, and I hear arguments instead of discussion. When business owners or business teams are weak in any of the five levels, they will become defensive rather than receptive to questioning. If they do become defensive rather than excited to identify and correct a weakness, I usually walk away from the investment. I have on a wall in my house a photo of a pig I took on Fiji. Under it is printed, Don't teach pigs to sing. It wastes your time and annoys the pigs. There are too many excellent investments out there to waste your time trying to teach pigs to sing. Third, the personal computer and the Internet make the BI triangle more available, affordable, and manageable for everyone. In my talks, I say that it has never been easier to access great wealth. In the industrial age, you needed millions of dollars to build a car factory. 
today with a $1,000 used computer, some brain power, a telephone line, and a little education in each of the five aspects of the BI triangle, the world can be yours. If you still desire to build a business on your own, there has never been greater opportunity for success. I recently met a young man who sold his small internet company to a major computer software company for $28 million. All he said to me was, I made $28 million at the age of 28. How much will I make when I'm 48? From BI Triangle to Business Tetrahedron. A business with a defined mission, a determined leader, and a qualified and unified team begins to take shape as the sections of the BI Triangle come together. This is when the BI Triangle becomes three-dimensional and turns into a tetrahedron. The point of completion is the introduction of integrity. The definition of integrity is wholeness, entirety, as well as perfect condition and soundness. The more common definition of integrity is honesty or sincerity. While the definitions may sound different, they are in fact the same. A business run with honesty and sincerity when built on the principles of the BI triangle will become complete, whole, and sound. Phase 4. Who is a sophisticated investor? Rich Dad said, once you build a successful business, you will have the skills to build as many as you want. You will also have the skills to analyze other businesses from the outside before you invest in them. So learning to build a business will make me a sophisticated investor, I asked. Is that all it takes? If you learn the lessons along the way and build a successful business, you can become a sophisticated investor, Rich Dad continued, as he brought out his infamous yellow pad. Let's discuss what makes a successful business person and investor a sophisticated investor. A sophisticated investor is an investor who understands each of the ten investor controls. The sophisticated investor understands and benefits from the advantages of the right side of the cash flow quadrant. Let's go through each investor control so you can get a better understanding of how a sophisticated investor thinks, Rich Dad explained. It is important to understand that a sophisticated investor may choose not to become an inside investor or ultimate investor. Rather, he or she understands the benefits of each control, Rich Dad continued. The more controls these investors possess, the less risk they have in the investment. Investor control number one, the control over yourself. The most important control you must have as an investor is control over yourself. It can determine your success as an investor and is why the entire first phase of the program is dedicated to getting control over yourself. Most of us were taught in school to become employees. There was only one right answer and making mistakes was horrible. We were not taught financial literacy in school. It takes a lot of work and time to change your thinking and to become financially literate. A sophisticated investor knows that there are multiple right answers, that the best learning comes through making mistakes, and that financial literacy is essential to be successful. They know their own financial statements, and they understand how each financial decision they make will ultimately impact their financial statements. To become rich, you must teach yourself to think like a rich person. Investor control number two, the control over income, expense, and asset liability ratios. This control is developed through financial literacy. My rich dad taught me the three cash flow patterns of the poor, middle class, and the rich. I decided at an early age that I wanted to have the cash flow pattern of a rich person. The cash flow pattern of the poor shows the person's job giving income, but that income goes right to paying all expenses. The cash flow pattern for the middle class looks a bit different, but gives a similar result. The middle class income goes to purchasing liabilities, which become expenses, and the cash flows out of their hands. 
Individuals in the middle class accumulate more debt as they become more successful. A pay raise qualifies them to borrow more money from the bank so they can buy personal items like bigger cars, vacation homes, boats, and motorhomes. Their wage income comes in and is spent on current expenses and then on paying off this personal debt. As their income increases, so does their personal debt. This is what we call the rat race. The rich have their assets work for them. They have gained control over their expenses and focus on acquiring or building assets. Their businesses pay most of their expenses and they have few, if any, personal liabilities. You may have a cash flow pattern that is a combination of these three types. What story does your financial statement tell? Are you in control of your expenses? Sophisticated investors buy assets that put money in their pockets. It is just that simple. Investor control number three, the control over the management of the investment. An inside investor who owns enough of an interest in the investment whereby he or she can control the management decisions has this investor control. It can be as a sole owner or where the investor owns enough of an interest that he or she is involved in the decision-making process. The skills learned through building a successful business are essential to this investor. Once the investor possesses these skills, he or she is better able to analyze the effectiveness of the management of other potential investments. If the management appears competent and successful, the investor is more comfortable investing funds. Investor control number four, the control over taxes. The sophisticated investor has learned about the tax laws either through formal study or by asking questions and listening to good advisors. The right side of the cash flow quadrant provides certain tax advantages, which the sophisticated investor uses thoughtfully to minimize his or her taxes paid, as well as to increase tax deferrals wherever possible. In the United States, those on the right side of the cash flow quadrant enjoy many tax advantages that are not available to those on the left side. Three specific advantages are, first, social insurance taxes, such as Social Security, do not apply to passive and portfolio income, right side of the cash flow quadrant but do apply to earned income, left side of the cash flow quadrant. Second, it may be possible to defer payment of taxes, perhaps indefinitely, by using the laws available to you related to real estate and owning a company. An example would be a profit-sharing plan. Third, C corporations may pay for a number of expenditures with pre-tax dollars that E income recipients must pay for with after-tax dollars. Sophisticated investors recognize that each country, state, and province has different tax laws and they are prepared to move their business affairs to the place best suited for what they are doing. Recognizing that taxes are the largest expense in the E, employee, and S, self-employed quadrants, sophisticated investors may well seek to reduce their income in order to reduce income taxes while increasing funds for investment simultaneously. Investor control number five, the control over when you buy and when you sell. The sophisticated investor knows how to make money in an up market as well as in a down market. In building a business, the sophisticated investor has great patience. I sometimes refer to this patience as delayed gratification. A sophisticated investor understands that the true financial reward is after the investment or business becomes profitable and can be sold or taken public. Investor control number six, the control over brokerage transactions. The sophisticated investor operating as an inside investor can direct how the investment is sold or expanded. As an outside investor in other companies, the sophisticated investor carefully tracks the performance of his or her investments and directs his or her broker to buy or sell. Many investors today rely on their brokers to know when to buy and sell. These investors are not sophisticated. 
Investor Control Number 7. The Control Over the ETC. ETC stands for Entity, Timing, and Characteristics. Next to control over yourself, the control over the ETC is the most important control, Rich Dad would repeat often. To have control over the timing and characteristics of your income, you need to understand corporate, security, and tax law. Rich Dad truly understood the benefits offered through choosing the right entity with the right year end and converting as much earned income into passive and portfolio income as possible. This, combined with the ability to read financial statements and think in terms of financial statements, helped Rich Dad build his financial empire more quickly. To illustrate what proper ETC planning can do, let's review the following case studies about James and Kathy. In case study number one, James and Kathy are the absentee owners of a restaurant. The restaurant is operated as a sole proprietorship. They have two children, and their net income from the restaurant is $60,000. They have one financial statement. It shows an income of $60,000. In the expense column, they list the usual items, social insurance taxes, income taxes, mortgage, and a variety of living expenses. All told, they spend about $54,400 annually, which leaves them a net cash flow of $5,600. They list their assets as the restaurant building and its fixtures and their liabilities as their home mortgage and the restaurant mortgage. In case study number two, James and Kathy met with their financial and tax advisors to structure their business to maximize their cash flow and minimize the amount they must pay in taxes. Now, James and Kathy own two corporations. One owns the restaurant and the other owns the building where the restaurant is located. James is the general manager for both corporations. Now James and Kathy have three sets of financial statements that impact their financial position. By setting up this two-corporation structure, James and Kathy can convert certain personal expenses into legitimate business expenses, including health insurance, legal and accounting expenses, education expenses, and a home office and auto deduction. They were able to reduce the total amount paid in taxes by $7,885. They were also able to put $12,000 into a retirement fund. This was possible even though they reduced their personal income to zero. Finally, they protected their personal assets by putting their business operations into corporations, one owned 100% by James and the other owned 100% by Kathy. Investor Control Number 8 The Control Over the Terms and Conditions of the Agreements The sophisticated investor is in control over the terms and conditions of agreements when he or she is on the inside of the investment. For instance, when I rolled over the sale of several of my small houses into a small apartment building, I used a Section 1031 exchange, which allowed me to roll over the gain. I did not have to pay any taxes on the sale because I controlled the terms and conditions of the agreements. Investor Control Number 9, The Control Over Access to Information As an inside investor, the sophisticated investor has control over access to information. This is where the investor needs to understand the legal requirements of insiders imposed by the SEC in the United States and similar governing bodies in other countries. Investor control number 10. The control over giving it back, philanthropy, redistribution of wealth. The sophisticated investor recognizes the social responsibility that comes with wealth and gives back to society. This may be through charitable giving or philanthropy. Some of it may come through capitalism by creating jobs and expanding the economy. Analyzing Investments In addition to mastering these investor controls, the sophisticated investor has other vital skills as well. One of these is the ability to analyze investments. The numbers tell a story, my rich dad would say. If you can learn to read financial statements, you can see what is happening within any company or investment. 
My rich dad taught me how he used financial ratios to manage his real businesses. Whether it is an investment in the stock of a company or purchase of real estate, I always analyze the financial statements. I can determine how profitable a business is or how highly leveraged a business is just by looking at its financial statements and calculating financial ratios. For details on how to factor ratios, refer to the printed version of Rich Dad's Guide to Investing. Is it good debt or bad debt? A sophisticated investor also recognizes good debt, good expenses, and good liabilities. When I had set up my first real estate purchase of a condominium, I thought I was buying an asset, but soon discovered I would be losing money each month under the terms originally agreed upon. I remember Rich Dad asking me, how many rental houses can you afford to own where you lose $100 per month? I, of course, answered, not too many. Then he asked me, how many rental houses can you afford to own where you earn $100 per month? The answer to that question is, as many as I can find. Analyze each of your expenses, liabilities, and debts. Does each particular expense, liability, or debt apply to a corresponding income or an asset? If so, is the resulting cash flow in from the income and or asset greater than the cash flow out for the expense, liability, or debt? For example, a friend of mine, Jim, has a mortgage on an apartment building for $600,000 for which he pays out $5,500 each month in mortgage and interest payments. He receives rental income from his tenants of $8,000 each month. After all other expenses, he has a net positive cash flow of $1,500 each month from that apartment building. I would consider Jim's mortgage a good debt. Saving is not investing. A sophisticated investor also understands the difference between saving and investing. Let's look at the case of two friends, John and Terry, both of whom believe themselves to be sophisticated investors. John is a highly paid professional and invests the maximum in his 401k retirement plan at work. John is 42 and has $250,000 in his 401k plan already because he has been adding to it for 11 years. There is no return or cash flow from it until he retires, and then it will be fully taxable at his regular earned income rates. Terry is the same age as John and makes a similar salary. She has invested in a series of real estate deals over the past 11 years and has just put $250,000 down on a $1 million property. Terry is earning a cash-on-cash -cash return of 10% and expects a conservative appreciation of her property of 4% per year. When she retires, Terry expects to 1031 exchange into another property to take advantage of the high equity and cash flow. Terry has never contributed to the 401k plan and the income from her property is taxed currently. Even though Terry had only put $250,000 down on the property, she benefited from the 4% appreciation on the total $1 million value of the property. During the 20 years, the rental income from the property paid off the mortgage of $750,000, so when Terry retires, she can roll over the complete equity of $1 million into a much larger property. This new property will generate a cash flow of $342,700 per year for Terry. While John's retirement will be comfortable, Terry's will be rich. It is easy to see that investing in a building generated much more cash flow and income for Terry than saving in a 401k did for John. I would categorize Terry as an investor and John as a saver. A sophisticated investor understands the difference between investing and saving and generally has both as part of his or her financial plan. The Ultimate Investor Becoming a sophisticated investor is within reach for many of us, but the question remains, how does a person like Bill Gates become the richest business person in the world in his 30s? Or how does Warren Buffett become the richest investor in America? 
Both men came from middle-class families, so they were not handed the keys to the family vault. Yet, without great family wealth behind them, they rocketed to the apex of wealth within a span of a few years. How? They did it the same way many of the ultra-rich have done in the past and will be doing in the future. They became ultimate investors. So how did these and others like them join the ranks of the ultra-rich so early in life? They made it the old-fashioned way, the same way that Rockefeller, Carnegie, and Ford became yesterday's ultra-rich, and the same way that tomorrow's ultra-rich will do it. They built companies and sold shares in their companies to the public. They worked hard to become selling shareholders rather than buying shareholders. In other words, it could be said that by being selling shareholders, they printed their own money, legally. They created valuable businesses and then sold shares of ownership in the businesses to others, buying shareholders. The entry requirements of the major stock markets in the United States have made the IPO a difficult process for most businesses. As described in Ernst & Young's Guide to Taking Your Company Public, the New York Stock Exchange requires a company to have net tangible assets of $18 million and pre-tax income of $2,500,000. The American Stock Exchange requires a stockholder's equity of $4 million and a market value of the IPO to be a minimum of $3 million. And the NASDAQ National Market requires net tangible assets of at least $4 million and a market value of the IPO to be a minimum of $3 million. In addition, it has been estimated that the IPO process can cost $400,000 to $500,000 for one of these major exchanges. These costs include the registration fees, as well as the fees paid to legal counsel, accountants, and underwriters. Many small to medium companies that cannot meet the qualifications look for reverse merger opportunities, which allow them to merge with an existing public company. Through that process, the company can become publicly traded by taking control of the newly combined public company. Companies may also look to foreign exchanges, like the Canadian Exchange, where the requirements are not as severe. The Right of Passage Taking a company public is the right of passage for any entrepreneur. It would be like a college sports star being selected to play for a professional team. According to the September 27, 1999 issue of Fortune, if you're acquired, a company validates you. If you go public, the market, the world validates you. That is why Rich Dad called a person who could build a company from scratch and take it public an ultimate investor. That title eluded him. Although he invested in several businesses that ultimately did go public, none of the companies he actually started ever did go public. His son Mike took over his business and continued to grow it, but he has never built a company to take public. So to become an ultimate investor will mean that I will have to complete Rich Dad's training process. One reason the wealthiest 10% own 90% of all the shares, as reported in the Wall Street Journal, is that the wealthiest 10% include the ultimate investors, the people who created the shares. Another reason is that only this 10% are eligible, per SEC rules, to invest in a company at the early stages before it becomes available to the public through an IPO. In this elite group are founders of companies, a.k.a. founding shareholders, friends of the founders, or a select list of investors. These are the people who become richer and richer, while the rest of the population often struggles to make ends meet, investing the few dollars they may have left over as buying shareholders, if they have any dollars left at all. In other words, the ultimate investor is someone who builds a company and sells shares in his or her company. When you read an IPO prospectus, ultimate investors are the ones listed as the selling shareholders. They are not buying shareholders. And, as you can tell by the net worth of these individuals, 
there seems to be a tremendous difference in wealth between those who sell and those who buy shares. Are you the next billionaire? The 1999 edition of Forbes' Richest 400 People states on the cover, The Billionaire Next Door. That issue has an article titled, A Century of Wealth, and a subtitle that reads, Where Does Great Wealth Come From? Years ago, oil and steel were the foundations of many American fortunes. Today, it's more a matter of how many eyeballs you command. According to the article, if you want to talk about super-rich, you have to set your sights higher, to billionaires who are being minted faster than ever, using ever more ephemeral products to make their money. It took Rockefeller 25 years of finding, drilling, and distributing oil to make his first billion. Last year, Gary Winnick joined the Billionaires Club just 18 months after putting his money into Global Crossing, a company that intends to, but has yet to, develop a global fiber-optic telecommunications network. So how long does it take to become super-rich these days? The answer is not long. That reality becomes even more apparent for someone like me, a member of the baby boomer generation, when I look at the ages of the new billionaires. For example, billionaire Jerry Yang was born in 1968, a year before I finished college, and David Philo, his partner, was born in 1966, a year after I entered college. Together, they founded Yahoo and are now worth over $3 billion each and climbing. At the same time these young people are super rich, I meet individuals who are wondering if they will have enough money in their retirement plans when they retire in 10 years. Talk about a gap between the haves and future have-nots. I'm taking my company public. In 1999, all I hear and read about are IPOs. There is definitely a mania. As someone who is often asked to invest in other people's businesses, I often hear sales pitches like this. Invest in my company, and in two years we'll be going public. The other day, a budding future billionaire CEO called and asked to show me his business plan and offer me the opportunity to invest in his future Internet company. After the presentation, he nodded slowly with a sly cockiness as he said, and of course you know what will happen to the price of your shares after the IPO. I felt like I was talking to a new car salesman who just informed me that the car I wanted was the last one of its kind, and he was doing me a special favor by letting me have it for the list price. The IPO mania, also called the New Issues mania, is back on. Just a little while ago, even Martha Stewart took her company public and became a billionaire. She became a billionaire because she teaches civilized and common-sense social graces to the masses, people who feel the need to be more civilized and more gracious. I think her service is valuable, but I wonder about the billion dollars of value. Yet if you follow the Forbes 400 definition, wealth is dictated by how many eyeballs you command, Martha Stewart qualifies to be a billionaire. She definitely commands many eyeballs. The Flavor of the Month I first began working on an IPO back in 1978 in Hawaii. Rich Dad wanted me to learn the process of building a company to sell to the public while I was building my nylon and Velcro wallet company. He said, I've never taken a company public, but I have invested in several businesses that have gone public. I'd like you to learn the process from the gentleman I invest with. The person he introduced me to was Mark. Mark was a licensed venture capitalist, or VC, as they say in the trade. I'm a Vietnam veteran, so the letters have a different initial meaning to me. Small businesses came to Mark when they needed venture capital or money to expand their businesses. Since I needed lots of money to expand, Rich Dad encouraged me to meet with him and learn from his point of view. It was not a pleasant meeting. Mark was far tougher than my Rich Dad. He looked at my business plan and my actual financial statements and listened for about 23 seconds to my glorious plans for the future. Then he began to tear me apart. He told me why I was an idiot, a fool, and completely out of my league. 
He told me that I should never have quit my daytime job and that I was lucky that my rich dad was his client. Otherwise, he never would have wasted any time on someone as incompetent as me. He then told me how much he thought my business was worth, how much money he could raise for it, his terms and conditions for the money, and that he would become my new partner with a controlling interest in the company. As I said, the term VC had a very familiar ring to it. In the business of IPOs, investment bankers, and VC, there is a sheet of paper known as the term sheet. It is similar to the sheet of paper that real estate agents call the listing agreement. Simply, a term sheet states the terms and conditions of the sale of your business, just as a listing agreement states the terms and conditions for the sale of your house. Just as in listing agreements with real estate, a term sheet is different for different people. In real estate, if you're selling just one little house in a bad neighborhood and you want a high price, the terms on the listing agreement will be tough and inflexible. However, if you are a real estate developer with thousands of homes to sell and the houses are nice, easy to sell, and priced low, the real estate agent is more likely to soften his or her terms in order to get your business. The same is true in the world of the venture capitalist. The more successful you are, the better terms you get, and vice versa. Well, after looking at Mark's term sheet, I felt his terms were too severe. I definitely did not want to give him 52% of my company to end up working for him in the company I started. Those were his terms. I am not blaming Mark, and in retrospect, maybe I should have taken those terms. Given what I know today and how little I knew back then, if I had been in Mark's position, I would have offered the same terms. I think the only reason he offered me anything was out of respect for my rich dad. I was a new business person, and I was successfully incompetent. I say successfully incompetent because I had a growing company, but I was not able to manage its growth. Although Mark was tough, I liked him, and he seemed to like me. We agreed to meet regularly, and he agreed to give me free advice as I grew. His advice might have been free, but it was always tough. He eventually began to trust me more as my knowledge and understanding of business grew. I even worked with him briefly on an oil company he was bringing to the public market. It was similar to the oil company I am working on today. Working with him on that oil company in 1978, I got my first taste of the excitement that comes from working on an IPO. During one of my lunches with him, he said something about the IPO business that I never forgot. He said, the new issues in IPO market are just like any other business. The market is always looking for the flavor of the month. Mark was saying that at certain times, the stock market favors certain businesses more than others. He went on to say, if you want to become very rich, part of your strategy as a business owner is to be building the company the market wants before the market wants it. Mark went on to explain that history makes famous the pioneer who has the business that is the flavor of the month. He said that inventions such as television created new millionaires just as oil and cars made billionaires at the start of this century. I did not work with Mark after 1978. As he predicted, my business success had begun to sour and I had massive internal problems in my company. I therefore had to put all my attention into my business rather than spend time trying to take someone else's business public. However, I never forgot his lesson on business as being the flavor of the month. As I plod along continuing to gain my fundamental business experience, I often wonder what the next business flavor of the month will be. Today, I continue my education in the IPO business. I'm making paper money because I'm acquiring paper assets. However, the most important thing I'm gaining is experience in capital markets. Even though I'm currently working on oil, gas, and precious metal companies, industries that were the flavor of the month 20 or 30 years ago, my mind continues to race ahead and wonder what the next frontier in business will become. I wonder what the next flavor of the month will be and if I will be part of that next explosion of wealth. Who knows? I'm 52 today. Colonel Sanders was 66 when he started. My goal is still to become a billionaire in my lifetime. 
Maybe I'll get there, maybe I won't. But I am working every day towards that goal. Becoming a billionaire is quite possible today, if you have the right plan. So I'm not giving up, and I have no plans of becoming poor or becoming more obsolete. As Rich Dad said, it's the first million that was the hardest. If that is the case, then the first billion could be the second hardest task I take on.